I want to get into the message time. And we're continuing this series we've been in called The Homecoming Campaign, um, which is concerning uh, what the scriptures have to say about finances, generosity, uh, because we are in a three-year capital campaign to raise $3 million uh, to help us buy uh, land and build uh, a church facility on that land. And um, we've been talking about that over the last three weeks. We're in the process of going ahead and buying the land. We found 48 acres about a half mile north of where Kroger is on 68. Amazing location. And we got it at a good price. And uh, the offer has been accepted. And we're just walking through some surveys and other inspections that need to be done. And we're set to close on and before April 15th. Um, So we're excited about that. Um, And we're going to put a down payment down of 30%. Um, and then take out a, a mortgage on the rest. And so this capital campaign will help pay that off and then also build the church facility. Um, and we have an architect working on some plans uh, for that. I, Lord willing and hoping to be able to share that, the initial kind of rough draft next weekend. Um, he, he told me that he could probably have it done by then, and I told him what we're doing, and uh, that would be a good goal. So we're working on that. Um, I have a cool story on that. I'll share, Lord willing, next weekend. But at some point, I will share it. Really cool confirmation that happened on that. And so uh, we're excited about that. I I forgot to mention this last service, um, but we are going to be having a couple Q&A coffee events, meaning uh, if you have any questions about all this, I feel like we've been pretty transparent. We're a very transparent church. We are not trying to hide anything for sure. But if, if there's something we haven't covered in our explanations of all this, if you have any questions, next Saturday, or no, 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 this coming Saturday uh, at 10.30 a.m. in this place, in this room, we're going to have a, a coffee Q&A. And it's truly Q&A. We're not going to present anything. We've done all the presenting we know how to do over the last several weeks. Um, if you have questions that we just haven't covered yet, um, that's a great place to do it. Of course, you can email us at any time. Um, but come to that this coming Saturday at, uh, at uh, 10.30 a.m. in this place. And then also next Sunday after church at 1 p.m., which will allow us to pray for some people who need prayer after church. And then at 1, we'll have another one. I anticipate those go about an hour, maybe an hour and a half if there's a lot of questions. I hope there's not a lot of questions because maybe that says we didn't do a very good job explaining things. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, that's what those, those are for you. And if you feel like you're good, no worries. Don't need to come to that. That's great. Um, but again, if you just have questions that haven't been addressed that you're just like, man, what about this? Um, and just come ask. There's a lot of details we haven't shared just because it's like kind of mind-numbing all the details with all this. Um, we did pass these out a couple weeks ago. This is a, a booklet that will help you walk. It kind of walks through what we're planning to do and then how to pledge and how to give in this campaign. Two weeks from now, March 6th, uh, we're doing our Commitment Sunday where we're all going to pledge. Uh, a pledge is what you plan to give, Lord willing, over the th- entire three years of the campaign. So we've been talking about this the last few weeks. Like, this project's so significant. The more significant it is, the more we need to plan and prepare, right? And that's very biblical. We've been talking about that. Go watch the last two weeks' sermons if you've missed that for more details. Um, but this booklet walks you through that. Um, if you didn't get one, Go out and to the right to that info center today is your only way out, and we've got plenty of those for you. Um, and then this is also a website, resonance.church slash homecoming, and you can check that out as well. And then two weeks from today will be Commitment Sunday, and a, we'll give you pledge cards. You've been praying. You've been planning. This is what we feel led to give over the entire three years, whether all at once or, you know, over time. And you'll, you'll give your pledge card. Um, this is not a contract. It's not a legal document. We will never come to you and be like, hey, you pledged this much, but you're only giving this much. Where's the money? You know, it's not what that's for. This helps you plan and prepare, and this helps our church plan and prepare the scope and timing of the project, how we structure financing based on what we can anticipate for the church to bring in. Does that make sense? A lot of lenders uh, require uh, capital campaigns and uh, pledges. They want to see if we're going to lend you money that the, this church is invested and believes in this, and that's that's what the lender is looking to see. And so, um, check that stuff out. Um, go to that website for more. And again, those two dates: this coming Saturday at ten thirty here, and then next Sunday after church, we'll have some coffee Q and A's. Bring your questions related to the homecoming campaign. All right. Um, and so, we will go over that stuff uh, today. 
You know, I was talking about that song and how we're called to be witnesses and living by faith. And and then God moves in your life and he gives you God stories. And you're a witness like, wow, God is real. He wants to do that in every area of your life. Um, He also wants to do that in your finances. So if God calls you to walk by faith in your finances, he has promises for that. We've talked about that the last few weeks. He wants to give you stories to tell of how God came through. And I'm going to share some stories with you today. Um, The first one I want to share with you is a, a lady who... This is fresh. This is just in the last few weeks. She, she emailed me this past week after last Sunday. And this is a lady who's been a part of our church for a long time, just really faithful Christian. And she said this, Sunday Aaron said, some may have felt a spirit of poverty. It was like he was talking directly about me. I've been praying about what to give for the campaign. Not having grocery money lately, I wasn't sure how I could give the amount I felt in my heart. So she'd been praying. She felt like God gave her a number. And she's like, I don't even know if I'm going to have enough money for groceries over this three years, right? And right now in my life, how in the world am I going to be able to give this amount? Because it was a significant amount. She said this, this is confidential, but someone has given me money for, and she listed these volunteer services she had been doing uh, over the last few years. And she, she didn't want that mentioned just for confidentiality. But um, she said I could mention in general volunteer services over the last few years she she was doing for someone and she did it out of the goodness of her heart just to help never expecting anything in return and she said uh this these people uh came to her and said hey we've we've seen what you've been doing you've helped us so much you know and they're going on and on they're like we have decided that we want to compensate you for these services that you've been doing and so they said here you go and they gave her like a lump sum money for a few years of volunteer services, and it was a very significant amount, and she was blown away. This was very recently, Um, and she said this, God is so good. I will now be able to make my pledge, God once again proving his faithfulness. Now, this story is yet again another example of what I talked about last week in 2 Corinthians 9, where Paul is talking about a significant offering, giving once a year this big offering to help fund kingdom ministry, And he says, remember the law of sowing and reaping. If you sow generously, man, you're going to reap generously, you know. And uh, and then he says this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. He said, he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food, bread and seed. You get seed in life, you have to decide, how much am I going to make bread out of? That's what you live on. How much am I going to sow back into my life? That's seed. That's investment. And he's saying the God who gives you bread, right, he's going to supply you. He's going to give you what you need, but he's going to increase your store of seed. That's your finances. And it's going to, you're going to, it's going to enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. When you trust God with your finances through financial generosity, he's going to increase your store of seed so you can be more generous on every occasion, as Paul goes on to say. It's going to give you a God story of God's financial provision, just like the one I shared with you. And then it's going to increase your righteousness because you trust God more because you learn to trust God in your finances. And you go, wow. And then you live even more for God, even in other ways in your life. That's what Paul is saying. And then he says this, you'll be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, when you give to the church and as we distribute that for kingdom ministry and to help people in need, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. And so that story I just share with you, it's an, it's an awesome example of yet again that promise from God, right? This lady, she's like, I want to be faithful and oh, I don't even know if I'm going to, oh, look what God did. But here's what I also love about that story. I love the posture of her heart. I don't know if you caught it. She said, I, I don't even know if I'm going to have enough money for groceries. And then I get this large amount of money, this lump sum, out of nowhere, not ever expecting it. And her first thought is not, oh, good, now I'll be able to get all the groceries that I need. No, her first thought is, oh, good, now I can give it away to bless and to invest in what God is doing through my church family. And that just blessed me, her heart attitude, right? It reminds me of the story of Jesus when he's, he's watching people put offerings in the temple treasury. He calls his attention, his disciples' attention to him. He's like, guys, check this out. Look at this. Look at this. There's some rich people going by, putting in a whole lot, you know? 
probably being very showy about it, like, oh, hello, you know? You ever see videos of, like, filthy rich people on social media walking through stores buying stuff for people, and you're like, oh, they're so generous. It's like, that would be like me giving a penny to people walking through. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's nothing for them. They're so daggone wealthy. Jesus is like, watch this lady. Two mites, two, like, pennies, two quarters is like what two dollar bills is like what that would be. All she had to live on, and she gave it all. He goes, that lady right there, she gave more than anyone else. Wow. And that's what that story reminds me of. Man, now I have money, and the first thing I think is I can give to bless what God is doing. Man, if you're new to church, if you're new to faith, and you come to a church your first Sunday, this happens like every time that I preach on giving. Somebody's like, hey, just so you know, it'll be like coming up on the first week of the series, you know, on finances and stuff. But just so you know, I'm inviting my friend. They're a hardened atheist. They've never went to church. They got hurt when they were young. They said the church just wants their money. So, man, I don't know what you're preaching on, but I just want you to pray because they're coming and this is it. And if you fail, they'll go to hell forever, all right? And I'm like, all right, no pressure. Thanks for that. I'll pray for them, right? I'm telling you, it happens every time. So I just got to tell you, if you're new to faith and you happen to come through a series about a capital campaign, we're trying to raise money, you might think to yourself, oh, here we go. Everybody just wants money. Christians are no different. Here's what I want to tell you. Most Christians I know have a hard attitude like this lady, and they consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to give to their local church to help fund what God is doing. And Last thing I love about that story is that it expresses what I believe is the foundation of biblical generosity. And that's really what I want to talk to you about today. The foundation of generosity is contentment. This lady gets money. Not even sure if she's going to have grocery money, but she's so content in God. She's so trusting, well, he'll take care of me, that she's able to give it away. If you're not content with what you have, you'll never be generous. Contentment is the foundation of biblical generosity. But there's something even more important about contentment. When, you're, when you stop pursuing things of the world so you can have more, it's counterintuitive. When you're just content with what you have, you actually gain something that's of greater value. And the Apostle Paul writes about that in 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 2. He says, these are the things you should teach and insist on. If anyone teaches other, otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand Nothing. I love how Paul is kind of vague sometimes and he doesn't want to hurt people's feelings, you know. No, he just goes for the jugular. And he's saying these are the things you're to teach and insist on. He's talking about what scripture says. He, he tells Timothy, like, you need to publicly read scripture. You need to teach and preach what God's word says. And he's like, listen, if, no, if people disagree with you, if you're preaching the word of God explicitly, if you're just reading scripture and explaining it and people who call themselves Christians, disagree with you, they're conceited. They're arrogant. Why? Because no matter what the reason, they think they know better than God. And so God taught me a long time ago, don't ever shy away or back down from preaching a sermon about eternal judgment or hell or repentance. Well, some people might not like it. Some people might say, well, I just can't see how a God who loves people would send people to hell. Well, I just don't. Okay, I get your reasoning. I, I see what you're saying. But here's the deal. If you refuse to believe in God because of what God's word says, you're arrogant. You're prideful. You think you know better than the God of the universe. And let me just tell you this. There are answers to every question and every doubt that you have, I would encourage you to go listen to a series that I did a few years ago called The Evidence of Faith. And I talk about scientific evidence, historical evidence. Our faith is not based on fairy tales. It's not based on nothing. God doesn't call us to have blind faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain about what we don't see I believe the King James or the New King James calls it the evidence of what we don't see. 
Our faith is evidence that God is real. We trust in him. And man, I'm telling you, God doesn't call us to have blind faith. Our faith is based on sound intellectual reasoning. It's based on history. And you can go check that out in that series. I I would also recommend the book, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That'll get you started. He wrote another one called The Case for Faith. Again, a guy named Mark Clark, The Problem of God. Those are really great resources if you struggle with those kinds of doubts. And so he's encouraging Timothy, his protege, man, preach the word. This is the word of Almighty God who created all things. And he says, there, there's God, he's talking about really teachers and preachers uh, who are off base. They have wrong motives. And listen to what he says. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about that results, I'm sorry, about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness, listen to this, godliness is a means to financial gain. So there are people who don't want to preach and teach what God's word actually says. And for some reason, the motive in their heart is that they can make more money out of that through preaching and teaching. Now, you've probably encountered, we've all seen the really bad examples of this, that televangelist who's like, I got miracle water from, from Israel, and if you pay me enough money and you buy it, when it arrives at your house, if you, whatever you drink it or bless yourself with it, whatever you're supposed to do, uh, God will heal your sickness and heal your disease. Ooh, that's some bad juju, man. That's, that's actually witchcraft masquerading as Christianity. Paying for healing? Go read the story about Simon the sorcerer. He's like, oh, I want, you guys are healing people with the Holy Spirit. Give me the Holy Spirit so I can heal people. He wanted the power for personal gain. And Peter's like, uh, the Lord rebuke you, man. You need, you've got bitterness in your heart. You need to go pray. And no, we will not. Think about that. No, I'm not going to give you that. Because you don't have a right motive. Wow, that's interesting. Someone wanting saved, wanting to say the prayer, give me the Holy Spirit. And Peter says no. Because they don't have good motives. And that's different. He different. <laughs> Peter's different. Why? Because he cares about truth. He cares about what God cares about. I mean, there's more subtle versions. It's not just the televangelist asking for money and you promising healing. There's more subtle versions. I'd be wary of any pastor that, won't, that skirts around or won't talk about the hard topics in our culture. Beware of any pastor, any church that won't talk about sin, repentance, and eternal judgment explicitly. And I know these guys. I know the mindset. I'm friends with some of them, right? Well, if we're too explicit, it'll scare people away. Yeah, you'll draw a big crowd. You'll reach a whole lot of people for Jesus. You just won't reach them with Jesus. So they'll be in your church, but they won't be saved. That's scary, man. Be wary of any church that won't talk about explicit what Scripture says about sexual morality in our culture today. In a culture that is in desperate need of it, more so than any recent generation. People are so confused. God's Word teaches on it very clearly. Jesus taught on it. Matthew 19. Because of God's design and gender, He made them male and female. Therefore, because of God's design and gender, a man will be united to his wife. One man, one woman, united in marriage. What God's joined together, let no man separate. That's it. That's God's definition of marriage, man. It's so important. Be wary of any pastor church that never talks about it. These are important issues. Be wary of any pastor church that doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit because they fear weirding people out and the crowd will diminish. And I would say be wary of any church pastor that won't talk about all the above. Be real wary of them. Why? Because they want a big crowd. Their ego gets stroked. Or they're at their heart, they might have a good motive. No, we want to reach people. Man, but you're using methods that aren't God's methods. And you're robbing people of conviction and repentance and the lordship of Jesus. That's bad. And, and so there's more subtle versions of people who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And listen to how he flips it, verse 6. But godliness with contentment 
is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. When you live to please God and you're content in God, you gain something that all the money in the world can't buy. It's called peace. I'll never forget my friend Ron, who was in his 70s when he got saved through our church and got baptized. And he said after he accepted Christ, he said, Aaron, the peace I feel. He said, my whole life, I've worried about my life. I've worried about everything, every detail. I've worried about my impending death. And now I don't. (laughs) He just has peace. You have peace in Christ, not only for the struggles you go through in this life, peace that transcends understanding. It doesn't even make sense how at peace you are. But when you face your own mortality, which mark my words, every person in here will be faced with your own mortality. And when you're young, you feel invincible. And man, you reach a certain age and you start going, wow, I got one foot in the grave. And all those scriptures about surely we're as grass and we wither and die and we're a blink of an eye and we're a vapor and a mess. You're like, oh, those start making a whole lot more sense. Start resonating. But man, when you got Jesus, you got peace. (laughs) I just had a testimony of a guy who um, was a drug addict and he's getting help right now. And he was here last service and he said... He lost his daughter last winter, right, before, right at Christmas time, 20-year-old daughter in a car wreck. And he said, Aaron, I, I mean, I was sad. I grieved. He said, it was the weirdest thing, though. I just had peace. Like, she's a Christian. I know she's with Jesus. He's like, I, I started to feel guilty about how much peace I had that I lost my daughter. And I'm just like, peace surpasses understanding, man. I get it. That's a blessing. When you trust in Christ, you get something more valuable than any the money in the world could buy. Jesus said it the opposite way. He said there's a way of gaining the whole world, and you forfeit your soul. You get all the stuff you ever wanted, but it cost you your soul. Your soul's the most valuable thing that you own because it's the essence of who you are. And let me tell you, if you forfeit your soul to get stuff in life, to get material things, to get more money. It's too expensive. It costs too much. Contentment has a greater value than any of the money in the world could ever buy. And listen to how Paul describes contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. What a definition of contentment. You know, I, was, I felt the Lord pressing on me to talk about contentment um, today. And I was feeling pretty good about myself. Um, I'm like, man, I'm pretty content in life, you know. I got these boots I got a few years ago, and they're real leather, and they've lasted a really, they got tons of mileage on them, and I love them. I wear them all the time. I'm like, man, got some good boots, nice pair of jeans is all I, good T-shirt, maybe a nice sweater. And I'm, I'm a musician, maybe a guitar, and I'm like, I'm good. And I got all that stuff. So I'm like, I'm hard to buy for at Christmas. My wife's like, what do you want? I'm like, I don't want anything. I have no desire for any material. I have it. Like, I just, I'm, like I'm content with what we have. And, uh, and then I read this verse this week. <laughs> Paul's like, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And I'm like, ooh, maybe I'm not doing so good. Because I instantly thought, like, you mean like some nice clothes, right? You mean like, not just like kind of dumpy microwave food. You mean like some nice food, right? I'm a guitar player. I'm a songwriter. Like, I, I get my guitar, right? I mean, that's, okay, I got to drive. got to get to work. I, good car. Okay, I need to have a nice place to live, you know? And all of a sudden, my definition of contentment is way beyond Paul's. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, maybe I'm not as content as I thought I was. He says, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Listen to what he says. Here's why. Contentment also guards you from something. It's a protection from what? Verse 9, those who want to get rich, who aren't content, want more. 
fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now we all hear about the gangsters and the the people like that who like come up with some kind of scheme that's like illegal, trying to make money, and then they end up in jail, right? Pierce themselves with many griefs, right? But how about that boss you worked for who was like the biggest jerk you ever worked for, and the truth was the reason is he's making tons of money, but he works seven days a week, he's got the big house, but he's never in it. He's not content. He hates his life, so he treats you like garbage. What about those kind of people? who it's always about more. They just don't have enough. They're just going after it. And it's costing them their marriages. It's costing them their kids. Man, if it costs you your family or, or your relationship with God, it costs too much to be that rich. Contentment guards you from idolizing money because you can call yourself a Christian and not surrender your finances to God and it becomes an idol in your life. And if that's the case, that can lead you away from God and from the heart of God. Contentment, being content with what you currently have, no matter what level you're at, guards you against that. And here's the deal. Only a person who's content can be generous. Otherwise, your yearning capacity will always exceed your earning capacity. And here's a common mistake that young believers or people new to faith make. Man, if I just made more money, then I'll be generous. We think generosity is only for the, for the extravagantly wealthy or people who just have way more than we do. It's interesting. There was a survey done in the 90s. People were asked how much money they would have to make to feel like they were living the American dream. And those who earn, they ask people from all different economic financial statuses, um, those who earn 25000 a year less said that they would, on average, need about $54,000 a year to feel like they're living the American dream. What's interesting, those in the $100,000 annual income bracket said they could buy the American dream for an average of about $192,000. And what they found was no matter someone's income level, people on average said they felt like they had to make about double what they were currently making to feel like they had made it and they could have financial freedom and be living the dream. And it's an, it, it, it reveals an issue of contentment or a lack thereof. We tend to think the secret of happiness is having more stuff so we can be content, so we can be generous. God's word actually flips it. God says, be content with whatever you have. All of a sudden, you're free to be generous. And then God gives us promises when you're generous, he will increase your store of seed. I was talking to a friend who shared another story with me last Sunday after church about trusting God with finances and God increasing the store of seed and and I said, man, and I'm going to share that one with you here at the end here uh, today. Um, that's the one I told you about last week. But I was like, isn't that funny how God waits till you give to increase the store of seed? <laughs> isn't that funny? It's a faith. It's a trust thing. He's like, trust me. And he waits. It, God flips it. Be content first. Then be generous. Then the increase comes. I said it last week. Why does he do that? He's, a, he's actually really wise. Believe it or not, God knows what he's doing, Right? Why is that? Because Jesus said this way, if you're faithful with a little, you'll be faithful with much. If you're not faithful with a little, it would be unwise of God to give you a whole lot of finances. Here's why. Go research the NBA players and the NFL players who go from poor college kids to millionaires and how many of them ruin their lives, pierce themselves with many griefs because they don't have the character to, to be able to steward that amount of wealth. And so when God sees someone being faithful with a little, he goes, give them more. I can trust them. It won't become an idol. And what's meant as a blessing for me separates them from me. And they'll continue to help fund my kingdom ministry on this earth.
He's just wise. It just makes sense when you think about it. And so contentment guards you against materialism, from drifting from God, from piercing yourself with many griefs. It also, I mean, it just allows you to be content. Just allows you to be contentment means a peaceful satisfaction. I'm satisfied, you know. Mick Jagger, poor guy can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> He's still singing about it. Was he in his 80s? They just did the Super Bowl a few years ago. I'm like, this guy's still alive? Still singing, can't get no satisfaction. I'm like, poor guy doesn't know Jesus yet. You can't get satisfaction. That's a song for people who don't know Jesus. You can be content in Christ. Here's the deal. If your joy is in stuff, you'll never have enough. If your joy is in stuff, you'll never have enough. It's a cute way of saying what Scripture says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. If you love money, you're not satisfied with your income. If you're content, you're like, well, I'm content. And then God increases and you go, and you worship. You worship when your income increases. When you're not content, your income increases. You go, yeah, I should have been, should have had this raised five years ago. But work like a dog. Show up first, go last. Yeah, I deserve this, right? Contentment is so, so, so important. Keeps your right heart before God. Paul talks about it in Philippians 4. Again, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you know, had no opportunity to show it. He's like, I'm so rejoicing in that they gave an offering to help provide for his needs as a minister of the gospel. And then he says this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. He's like, I'm not saying this because I was so rejoicing that I can have stuff now. And he says later on, he says, I want what is, can be accredited to your account. In other words, he's saying, I'm rejoicing not because I got something. I'm rejoicing because you're getting it. That, that financial generosity is not a salvation issue. It's not a, you don't go to hell if you never give, right? But it is a mark of Christian maturity. You're learning to trust God even with your finances. And he, when they gave him an offering, he went, oh, he was overjoyed. He's like, you're getting it. You're getting it. You're getting it. I'm rejoicing, Paul says. And he says this. I'm not saying because I'm in need, because here's the deal. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, if you're, we're to this point, and you're like, what's the secret of being content? Because you've been speaking to me, and my eyes got wide, and I was like, oh, no, that's me. I'm not content. I want more money, I'm never satisfied, and I hate it, and I know it. And I hate it about myself. I don't want to be this way. What is the secret of being content? He's about to tell us. Here it is. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, wait a second. Isn't that the verse that Tim Tebow used to put under his his eyes on the eye black? Isn't that the verse that every Christian bodybuilder tattoos on their biceps? I can bench press. 475 pounds through him who gives me strength. And yet, the best hermeneutic, which means best way of interpreting scripture, using the context, it's one of the best ways to find that. The exact explicit context is learning how to deal with financial challenges. I can endure anything through Christ, and that's my secret. That's why I'm so content. And all the times I was naked and hungry and shipwrecked, I was happy and still sharing with people. I never was bitter against God when I went through the hard times because I was a minister of the gospel. I was just happy. I was just content. Why? Because I have Jesus. And I'm satisfied. And I know he's going to take care of me. And listen to what he says. He says, yet it was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Philippi was in Macedonia, and they were the only church from Macedonia to support Paul and to give generously to his ministry. And he says this, for 
not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is what will be accredited to your account. I've received full payment. I have more than enough. I'm amply supplied. Now that I've received the gift, or I'm sorry, received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And listen to this. They've given to him. And listen to the promise he makes. And my God will meet, I like the King James here better, shall supply all your needs according to the riches of glory in Christ Jesus. Which means apparently the riches of glory in Christ Jesus not only include forgiveness of sins, eternity in heaven, every spiritual blessing in Christ, the Holy Spirit gifts, but also financial provision for us when we're in need. I mean, I'm telling you, God wants to provide for your every need. He cares about everything you're going through. And he gives them that promise. Now, here's what's amazing, and here's why Paul gave them the promise. They gave so generously. Paul says in another place, this was not a wealthy church. This was a poor church. They were actually in poverty. They actually gave beyond what they should have. They gave some of their need money. And apparently it concerned him, and he gave him this promise. Hey, you guys gave so generously. My God's going to supply for all your needs. God's going to get you back. How do I know that? Because in 2 Corinthians 8, he talks about this church, and he's talking to the Corinthian church, and he says, in the midst of a very severe trial, and he's, he's talking about how the Macedonian churches gave to his ministry. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. He's talking about the Macedonian churches, but he just said in Philippians, they were the only Macedonian church to give. And so this church was poor. They gave, listen to what he said, for I testified they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. And man, I love that verse. That's the heart of every pastor that I personally know. Man, I'm telling you the bad apples are few and far between in the ministry that I've, that I've met. And I just want you to know, I've said it every week, if you're new to church, new to faith, and this is the series you came in, we do not expect you to give to our church or to this offering. This is for people who know Jesus, who believe in what we're doing, and who want to give out of gratitude to help other people experience it. And so I just release you from that. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want, we want you to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he's saying these people gave themselves first of all to Jesus and then to us. Then they supported our ministry. I'm like, man, I love that. So where did this church that was so poor, that welled up in such generosity, where did they learn? I mean, you don't even have what you need. Isn't that like that story I shared at the beginning? You're not even sure you have what you need, but I'm still going to be so generous. That's contentment. With what little I have, I'm, I'm content. I'm still going to be generous. Where did they learn that contentment, and where did they learn that generosity? I'm convinced they learned it from Paul, who said, I know the secret of being content, but Paul was also generous. Acts 20, 33 through 35, he says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul often went without having his needs met. He worked, he got money, and then he was generous. That's how content he was. He blessed other people. He helped other people. And I'm convinced that's how they learned it. I mean, I just want to bless you all today. As you're praying about what to give, if you feel led to give, if you're concerned, you're like, you're like we're going to do it, but we're concerned. Man, I just want to share a couple more stories today uh, as we close today. And I wanna, the first one comes with the promise, my God shall supply all your needs. I read that years ago, right, as a young Christian. And I realized Paul believed Jesus was his God. Jesus met his needs, and then he passed that on. My God that I've experienced, I'm a witness of his provision. He's going to bless you, and he's going to meet your needs in Christ Jesus. And then I read that, and Jesus is my God. And then I've experienced his provision, and I can bless you with that and pass that on in a very personal way. It's the power of the testimony of a witness of Jesus. So here's one of my wife and I's financial provision stories. 
several years ago, there was a, a couple in our church that asked to meet with my wife and I and said they had something they wanted to give us. We had no idea what it was, but we agreed to meet. When we met, they told us a story. They said about a month prior, the wife had a dream, um, and in the dream was white manna falling from heaven. She started walking around and picking it up, and it turned into white dollar bills in her hand. When she was done, she had exactly $1,300. And then at the end of the dream, she and her husband met with me and my wife in the dream, and they gave us this $1,300. So... They, they thought, well, that's, a, that's weird. That's a very interesting dream. But they resolved, you know, to pray about it, see what God would have them do. Well, over the course of that next month, she had a job change. And they had a few other things uh, going on in their lives. Uh, and they ended up having some surplus income that was not in their budget that they didn't express, that they didn't expect. And what was the amount of that surplus income? I will give you one guess. $1,300. And so they took that as a sign, confirmation, okay, Apparently, God wants us to give this to Aaron and his wife, Erica. And so they said, so we asked to meet with you. And like about this time in the story, I'm like, is this really happening? Are you about to say what I think you're about to say? You know, I'm like, and they go, we felt led to give you $13, So here you go. And they had a check. And it was just like, my wife and I got really emotional. Now, if anybody just out of nowhere shows up and gives you that amount of money, you're probably going to get emotional for, just for that reason, right? But we were a little more emotional. Because there were two things that, that they didn't know. One was we were in a season where our finances were pretty tight. And God gave a word through a friend at church and said, you're coming into a season of manna and God's going to provide for you. It's a season of manna. And manna is God's provision, but it's daily provision. It's having just enough. Because when they gathered manna, it was just for that day, and if they got more than that day, it would rot. And it was God teaching them to trust him for daily bread, just enough. That's what the wilderness lesson was about. They would come into a season of abundance, the promised land. The promised land was overflowing with milk and honey. It was a season of way more than enough, a season of abundance. And God wants to train you in the season of the wilderness, in the season of manna to trust him so that when you have more than enough, it doesn't ruin you, so that it doesn't cause you to get prideful and forget about the God who gave it to you, so that you, don't become, that you fail to be generous and help other people when you see them in the place where you were. You tracking with me? And so God was teaching us that lesson in that season. And so our friend told us, this is a season of man. I trust God he's going to provide for your needs. And so that aspect of the dream was very, very meaningful to us. There was a second thing that they didn't know. The previous week, one of our vehicles had broken down. And we got it checked out. It wouldn't run at all. Said needed a whole new engine. And the mechanic said it was going to be like 2800 bucks. And it was, it was a bit of a beater, you know. I had it for a long time. And, uh, and so, you know, felt like she was dead. You know, it was more than the car was probably worth. And I had another friend who worked on cars, and I called him up. I said, I just need some advice. What would you do? Should I get this fixed, or should I just, you know, sell it for what I can get as is and move on? And because it's, it's one of those things where, you know, if we get something new, it's going to cost more than 2800 But do I want to put 2800 into this thing? Anybody ever been in that situation? This is a hard situation to me. So I was looking for wisdom, and I promise you I was not looking for any help. I was just looking for wisdom from this guy who works on cars and knew, knows his stuff. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what. He said, I think I can find an engine for that. It's a very common engine. And if I find one, I'll put it in for you for free. It'll save you a ton of money. What would you do then? And I'm like, I, don't, I guess we probably keep it, you know. And so he goes, give me, give me some time. And he gets back with me. And he said, I found an engine, and uh, I'll put it in for you. It'll take me maybe a week. And he's like, he was like energized. I was like, dude, you're an animal. Like he just, placing an engine, he's like, it's a challenge. I think I can, I can do it, you know. And I'm like, okay, have fun. Thank you so much. And so he did it. And he got it all done. He had to buy the engine, had to buy some extra parts and stuff, some supplies. And he got back to me before this meeting, by the way. Do you know how much the exact total was of him fixing our engine? $1,300. And so we were a little bit emotional that God gave a friend of ours a word. You're in a season of manna. 
that God gave some other people in our church a dream of manna. He gave them extra income of the exact amount that we needed. And then he caused them. They didn't know we needed it. He just caused them to give it to us out of their own generosity. And that's a miracle. Man, if you're skeptical in here, God is real. (laughs) You can't make that stuff up. That really happened. I could get the people and get them in the room and have them tell you there's part of the story. And uh, something cool happened when the car was done. Um, My friend brought it to church, and it was first service, and he said he was leaving. He's like, here's your keys. Your car's out there. It's done. Have fun. You know, like, and I'm like, thank you so much. He goes, oh, there was one other thing. He's like, man, I did have to buy this one extra thing, and I needed it, and I put it in all this. And he's like, it was $100. And I go, oh, hey, man, I don't want you to have to worry about that. I said, I'll get it to you. And I'm just, I was just grateful, like, man, we went from 2800 to 100 bucks is what this is causing us. But like, believe me, no big deal. We'll get it. He's like, cool. And he left. And then we started second service. And I'm worshiping. And I'm singing. I'm, I'm so glad that this happened. And I'm, like, grateful. But, man, something was bothering me. I'm like, Lord, I'm a preacher. And I can't wait to share this story someday. And it just matched up so perfectly, the dream, the 1300, the engine, the 1300. But, man, it was just the day I get it, it's like, oh, but then there's 100 extra. I'm like, oh, man, like, like it didn't hurt financially, but it was like, man, it just doesn't make the story tell as clean. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, it was just bothering me. I was like, man, this was such a God thing. Where'd this 100 bucks come out of? I'm like. And it's one of those where, like, I'm trying to process it with God and figure it out. What does this mean without getting struck by lightning because he thinks I don't have gratitude? You know what I'm saying? I'm, like, kind of like, I'm I'm grateful, but what's going on here? And I just felt like the Lord was like, I'll take care of it. And I'm like, "Uh, uh, okay, all right. And I, I felt like that was him saying, son, you better shut up and be grateful, right? I'm like, okay, okay, I try. You take care of it. Please don't discipline me for asking. You know what I'm saying? Take care of your ungrateful attitude as well. I'll take care of it, right? <laughs> I just let it go. I forgot about it. We did church. I preached, you know, get done. Talking to another friend of mine. By the way, this guy has no idea about any of this. Talk. He's like, hey, see you later. I'm like, all right. He goes out. He comes right back in like two, three minutes later. He goes, Aaron, this is so weird. When we were saying goodbye talking, I felt really strongly that God was telling me to, to give you something. And I went out to my car, and I thought, no, that's weird. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And it got so heavy. I was like, this has got to be God. God's telling me to do this. So he's like, I just, you're supposed to have this. And he put something in my hand, and he, he like turned around, and he walked away real quick. And I was just like, well, thank you. And I looked down. You know what he put in my hand? $100 bill. And God was like, I said I would take care of it. Manna. God is real. Paul said, my God will supply all your needs. I'm telling you, my God will supply all your needs. When you're faithful, when you trust him, take care of you. This is the last story I want to share. This happened last week. And uh, it happened over the last few weeks. The person came up to me and told me this story um, right before church first service last week. He tells me the story, and I go, man, I was like, this is awesome. But I was like... Um, this is exactly what I'm preaching about today. I was like, you have no idea. Like, you'll, you'll know when I get there in the sermon, but this is exactly what I'm talking about, about God blessing people who are faithful, supplying and increasing the store of seed so they can be generous on every occasion. And, and uh, so this is his story. He came up to me, and, and he told me some of the backstory that uh, he has a job, a decent, good job, and, and he said, uh, but he's always dreamed of being a farmer. And so several years ago, they got an opportunity to, to buy a, a farm and, uh, from his grandparents. And so he's working a full-time job, but he's trying to farm a little bit. And they went from doing like 20 acres to like 400 acres. And like he's, he's so blessed. Like we're trying to farm. We're trying to make it. And they were excited about that. And they have four children. And they've been living in a 1,000-square-foot house with four kids, and he said their dream was eventually one day to have the finances to build a bigger, nicer house on this farm and, and, and farm it, right? And so their finances had not enabled them to do that at that point, and they'd been living that way for several years. And, and he said he got a raise from his work in 2013, and uh, they were like, man, we're getting close to being able to, 
to potentially build a house. Like, they're excited. And around that same time is, of course, towards the end of this year, we decided, we started announcing, hey, we're going to buy land, and we're going to eventually do a capital campaign uh, late fall of last year. And so we're going to raise money as a church. Well, right around that time, his work got with them and said, uh, we want to offer you a retention bonus. Now, when he told me what this was, I was like, man, I thought only like pro sports had this kind of stuff, you know? Uh, it's apparently, it's, it's an offer from the company that if you stay a few more years, we'll compensate. It's a bonus. It's on top of your salary. This retention bonus was for, if he stayed two more years, they would give him 60000 additional dollars. And so I know some of you guys are like, hey, can I, I don't need to know his name, but like, can I get where he works at later? Because I just, you know, I might put in my application. But anyways... Um, he, he said they got this offer, and it, to them, it was the timing of it that was so blessed. They were like, oh, my goodness. We can give big to what the church is doing, and we, this will allow us to, to start on this house. And they were so excited. And so they, they prayed about it, and they decided on a number to give to our capital campaign, right? And they, dis, they picked that number. They were like, this is what God wants us to give. And I'll just say it this way. It was a very significant portion of that money, okay? And they were super excited about it. Then they got the check, and they were so disappointed to learn that after taxes, they only got $29,000 of the 60. So over half, they did not get. And he's like, we were devastated. And it was one of those, like, trying to be grateful, because, like, 29000 is a chunk of change. But they said, now we're in a dilemma. Because if we give what we said we were going to give to the church, we can't start on this house. So it started to feel like, uh-oh, are we going to do what we want to do with this money, or are we going to give to what God is doing through our church? It, it became one of those situations. And he said they, they got together, just him and his wife, right? And they talked about it, they prayed about it, and they resolved, we are still going to give to the church what we decided in our hearts that we were going to give when we thought we would, he said, he's like, we thought we would be getting about $15,000 more than what we actually got, right? And so we decided to still give what we had decided before that. Right after they made that decision, like, oh, well, I guess we'll have to wait on building our house. We're going to give this significant offering to the church for what they're doing. They got their taxes done for the year. And they had done more on the farm than they'd ever done, but they lost money, and they had to buy a bunch of equipment and all this stuff, trying to figure it out. New, new farmers, you know? And it was only their second or third year doing it. He's like, we never had a big tax return. He said, um, they, they have four kids, advanced child tax credit from last year. He's like, I, I did the numbers. I thought we are going to be paying in at our taxes. They got their tax return, and they received a $15,000 tax return. And he's like, instantly, we were just like, God, it's like, God was like, you know, the government took all your money, and now I'm giving it back, right? I'm making them give it back, right? And so they were so blessed, like, oh my goodness, now we can do what we said. We might even be able to start on this house. At the same time, they had someone pursuing them to rent their farmland um, for hunting, the farmland they weren't using. And he's like, I'd always heard about that. We didn't really know what it was about. We didn't know what it would be. And we got the contract, and we were interested in it. And they said, if you do this, depending on how we structure it, uh, you'll end up getting between thirteen dollars and $20,000 out of this deal. And so he said, all right. And so they ended up doing it. They're still going to be able to farm the land they want to farm. And, and so God not only got them their money back through their taxes, right, but then he added about double what they thought they were, what they thought they had lost through this other opportunity. And so he's like, now there's, without a doubt, we're going to be able to still give what we wanted to give originally before all this, and we're making plans to start on our house. And I know this guy, and I know that they've given faithfully to our church. I know they've given faithfully to the church they were at before they were at our church, and uh, he talked about that part of his story. And I just told him, I said, man, um, I'm going to pray for you right now. And I said, I'm going to pray that God blesses the building of this house, that it's everything you hope for. Um, and I believe this is God's blessing. The, the hunting stuff and the stuff on top, I believe it's God's blessing, not just because you made a decision recently to like, we're going to, we're going to give what we want to give to the church uh, for this. I was like, I believe that's a double blessing for years 
of faithfulness, for years of contentment, living in a smaller house with four kids, waiting on God, not sacrificing what God wants for what they want before it's time, seeking the kingdom first. And I was like, and now it's coming to fruition. And I just want to pray God's blessing over that. And I just want to tell you, my God, his God, man, if you know Jesus, it's your God. He will supply your every need. He will enable you to be generous. And if you commit to be generous, I'm telling you, promise from the word of God. Don't take my word for it. Read scripture. He will give you bread to eat, and he will supply and increase your store of seed. He will enable you, enrich you even, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And so I want to encourage you, man. Take contentment seriously. It will guard you from a number of evils. Take generosity seriously. And if you doubt my motives, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you think that my heart is about wanting something from you, I challenge you to do this. Start tithing to a different church. Tithe to your mom's church. Take your tithe money and go give it to homeless people. Go give it to another ministry that helps the poor and the oppressed. I'm telling you, it's a spiritual matter. Learn to trust God. Dethrone materialism on your own heart. God will not only bless your finances, man, he'll increase your righteousness, the harvest of your righteousness. It is a faith issue. I want to end with this. It's one last matter that has to do with debts being paid. That's more important than everything we've talked about today. And that's the gospel. Scripture says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. You and I are sinners. When we sin, we break God's moral law of the universe, whether America says it's okay or not. Go read the Ten Commandments. We've all broken them. We've all probably broken almost every single one of them. There's no one righteous, not even one. Integrity really starts with admitting where you've messed up, being humble and willing to learn from Jesus. It's a great irony in the Christian faith that the only people going to heaven are those who admit they don't deserve to be there. And so we all have a sin debt. And the debt of that sin, the wages of that sin is death. That's what you and I deserve. And God loves us. God who is rich in mercy loves us so much, loves you so much, that he sent his son, who, by the way, lived a perfect sinless life, Scripture says, which means Jesus is the only person who's ever lived that didn't deserve death because he never sinned. Yet he willingly gave his life for you and me on the cross. His blood was an atonement sacrifice. In other words, in God's courtroom, you got a death sentence, and Jesus stepped in and said, I'll take their place. And God said, okay. So the only one who never deserved to die, died for you. He paid for the death you deserved. And all you have to do is admit, you're right, I have messed up. I am a sinner. God knows what's best. He's so good that he gave his son for me, and I surrender my life to him. You'll be forgiven. You go to heaven. Your sin debt's wiped away. Your whole past, you get to start over. Brand new, new creation in Christ. And Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he has authority on earth to forgive sins, that he is God in the flesh. And that's documented in history. And so I want to encourage you today, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, when I'm done praying, come up and let us pray for you. He will show himself faithful. He will forgive you. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for our time together today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for the miracles you do in our midst, that you confirm your word, the preaching of your word, with signs, wonders, and miracles. Wow. Wow. That the Bible is really the historical account, but your word's living and active. And when we live it, you (laughs) manifest your glory in our midst. And so, God, I just pray that you would give us all the faith to live what Scripture says. And I pray for I pray for dozens and dozens and dozens of miracle stories in the lives of all these people, of every person who puts your word into practice, that they would be a witness, that they would learn to hear your voice, 
speaking to them, that they would learn to live, keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to use spiritual gifts, to love people, to build up the body of Christ. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. I pray for provision for every heart, for every person struggling in their finances today. Again, I break off a spirit mindset of poverty, lack, and hopelessness, despair. And God, I pray that you would get their hopes up for how you're going to provide. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.